Welcome to Bradley's Micro Board Review, where we try to make your board's review for microbiology a little less painful. But, I mean, we're not magicians or anything. This still sucks. Today is March 26th, and we'll talk about our first fungal organism, the cause of caves disease, which is Histoplasma capsulatum. Cave disease is caused by Histoplasma capsulatum, which is a fungal organism that prefers to grow in high nitrogen content found in bird and bat droppings, hence the connection to caves, particularly caves found in the Mississippi and Ohio River valleys. This organism is a dimorphic fungi, which means that it has two different morphologies depending on the environmental temperature. If the environment is 27 degrees or room temperature, it will grow as a mycelium made of multicellular hyphae. If it grows at 37 degrees Celsius or human body temperature, it grows as single-celled yeast organisms. Typically, a human will inhale the microsporidia, which is then moved into the lower lungs. There, an alveolar macrophage will phagocytose the fungal spore, and the fungus will change into a very, very small yeast form and begin to replicate within the macrophage. Normally, the body's defenses are able to mount an appropriate immune response at this point and form a granuloma around the infected macrophage. Remember that granulomas are a type 4 hypersensitivity reaction driven by T-cells. These granulomas can calcify, fibrose, and have areas of necrosis. In healthy individuals, the problem is contained. Yay, immune system! Therefore, over 90% of patients with histoplasmosis are asymptomatic and can cause an acute histoplasmosis that presents with a flu-like illness, fever, sweats, and unintended weight loss. This usually affects children and is typically self-limited. Sometimes a patient can develop acute severe histoplasmosis that will present with desmia, chest pain, that is aggravated with deep breathing, pneumonia with patchy infiltrates, and mediastinal lymphadenopathy. This can progress into acute respiratory distress syndrome or cause the formation of erythema nodosum, particularly in women. Remember that erythema nodosum is a type 4 hypersensitivity reaction to pathogen antigens. Chronic histoplasmosis can last weeks to months and can present as diarrhea, oral ulcerations, and many granulomas. In some cases, these granulomas can interfere with oxygen intake and can even be coughed up. We call that symptomology broncholithiasis. If dissemination occurs, the central nervous system can become infected, causing the symptoms of meningoencephalitis and ring-enhancing lesions. To diagnose acute histoplasmosis, you should definitely confirm any testing by growing a sample on Saperon's auger, which is a fungal-specific auger but this takes several weeks to produce growth. You can use a polysaccharide capsule antigen detection methods on urine and serum, but you should confirm the diagnosis with the culture. To diagnose chronic histoplasmosis, serology is not excellent because antibody levels will remain high even if a past infection was completely cleared, but it still works. Sometimes these chronic histoplasmosis patients are thought to have lung cancer and a biopsy of one of the nodes is taken for pathology. 
the organism will be seen on this pathology report within those infected macrophages. Treatment for mild disease can be treated with itraconazole, um, and more severe cases might require amphotericin B. Unfortunately, in patients with broncholithiasis, the granulomas are so well formed that the antifungal medications cannot help these patients, and surgical removal of the calcified granulomas is the only treatment. Now let's take all that knowledge and bring it to the boards. A 45-year-old male presents to the clinic with worsening cough, fever, and joint pain. Physical examination reveals rails and wheezing on auscultation and hepatosplenomegaly on palpitation. Past medical history is significant for HIV-positive status. He recently moved from Missouri to South Carolina, USA after taking a trip to Arizona. Chest radiography reveals multiple granulomas. Laboratory analysis reveals pancytopenia. Examination of the infecting organism reveals small intracellular yeast, however, after several weeks of the culture, reveals a filamentous mold. What is the most likely diagnosis? Is it A, Blastomyces dermatitidis, B, Coccidioides imidis, C, Cryptococcus neoformans, D, Histoplasma capsulatum, or E, Paracoccidioides brasiliensis? First, diagnose the patient. His recent travel causes a bit of confusion for diagnosis. Missouri is where the Mississippi River Basin is, and Blastomyces dermatitidis and Histoplasma capsulatum are both endemic to the area. His recent travel to Arizona also complicates matters because Coccidioides imidis is endemic to the southwest. Therefore, you're left with the description of the organism. Choice A Blastomyces dermatitidis is a big, broad-based budding yeast and usually presents with associated skin lesions that can be biopsied. This also doesn't usually infect the bone marrow and cause pancytopenia. Choice B, infections with coccidioides imidis is usually heralded by bloody sputum, a painful rash on the legs, and a change in mental status, none of which occurred in this patient. It also doesn't form a yeast at human temperature, but forms spherules filled with endospores. Choice C, Cryptococcus neoformans, is not a dimorphic fungus and will always remain in the yeast form. Therefore, this answer cannot be correct. Choice D, Histoplasmosis, is caused by a dimorphic fungus that usually forms granulomas within the lung tissue. If immunocompromised status occurs, the organism can become disseminated, causing hepatosplenomegaly. The organism can also enter the bone marrow and cause pancytopenia. Choice E, Paracoccidioides brasiliensis, is very rare in the United States and usually located in the tropics. A 62-year-old male presented to the emergency room in Tennessee with altered mental status for the last 24 hours. A friend recounted fever, weakness, and headaches the day before. Vital signs revealed tachycardia, fever, and well-saturated on room air. Computed tomography of the brain with contrast revealed multiple ring-enhancing lesions through both sides of the brain parenchyma, within the cervical spine, lumbar spine, and thoracic spine. A needle biopsy of the right frontal lobe ring-enhancing lesion showed reactive astrocytosis and multiple small, narrow-neck budding yeast within microglia. 
What is the most appropriate treatment? Is it A, pyrimethamine, B, ceftriaxone plus metronidazole, C, albendazole, or D, amphotericin B? First, diagnose the patient. This patient is presenting with the symptoms of meningoencephalitis, fever, altered mental status, and headaches. CT scans reveal multiple ring-enhancing lesions throughout the CNS, and biopsy reveals the presence of narrow neck, intracellular, small yeast cells. Therefore, this is highly suggestive of disseminated histoplasmosis. Choice A, pyrimethamine, is a good treatment for cephalitic toxoplasmosis, which would present with ring-enhancing lesions. However, this is a protozoal disease and would not produce fungal organisms on histology. Choice B, ceftriaxone and metronidazole are a great combination for empiric therapy for bacterial brain abscess. This combination would cover streptococci and anaerobic organisms, which are the most common causes of brain abscess. But again, this would have no fungal organisms seen on pathology. Choice C, albendazole, is a great treatment for helminth infections like infections with tinea solium, which is the causative agent of neurocystocercosis. This would also not have any fungal organisms on histology. Choice D, amphotericin B, binds to ergosterol and forms pores and fungal cell walls, which are made of ergosterols. Therefore, this is the best choice for this fungal infection. Therefore, the correct answer is D, amphotericin B. You can find our study calendar, a guide on how to study microbiology specifically for the boards, our contact email address, and references used to make this episode at thebradleylab.wordpress.com. If you found an error or would like to discuss any of this information, please leave us a voice message in the show notes. If you appreciated this episode, please subscribe and tell a friend. This podcast was written and edited by me, Jillian Bradley. See you tomorrow.